Hi, Jackie. Hey, Ramona. <laughs> Tonight's episode is really exciting. I feel like I say that every single time we record an episode <laughs> because they're always so exciting and informative. You do say that all the time, um, <laughs> but you're right because I think every time we talk to someone and we learn something new, we feel pretty enlightened, but also excited to share it. Um, and this one, not going to lie, Dr. Beth Abramson, we have been trying to get her on our podcast, I feel like forever, like we just get teased when we talk to people, they mention her name and we're like, we want to talk to her. So we yeah, got her. Like pokeroo. It's like, we, <laughs> we can never find her and we finally got her on and it was so exciting. Dr. Beth Abramson is an associate professor of medicine at the University of Toronto. Um, she is the Paul Albrechtson, I might not have said that correctly, Professor in Cardiac Prevention and Women's Health in the Division of Cardiology at St. Mike's Hospital, University of Toronto. And she's also involved in the North American Menopause Society's awareness efforts. So basically, I mean, her credentials are like the length of my arm which we'll post so everybody can see. But why we loved having her on is her focus is on preventative cardiology for women specifically, yes. which is lovely. It's great because it is an area that women, this is like the number one killer of women in midlife, right? Is um, cardiovascular disease, heart attacks. And we all get scared when we think about it. We, we think it's out of our control. We're just gonna like, get hit with a heart attack one day and we can't prevent it. But it was very reassuring to have this conversation tonight, like so reassuring because I think what Dr. Abramson did was really empower us to take control of our medical history, staying on top of it, asking the right questions, looking at, you know, our, our lifestyle and, and what we can and need to change. Um, but she also highlighted so many important things that I didn't know. And I'm not sure if you did, but she took no. the mystery out of it and made it she very did. practical. Yeah. And, and just provided a lot of reassurance for us as we hit midlife and <laughs> need to know these things. So I think everyone's going to learn a lot from this. So please enjoy Beth Abramson. So tonight we are talking about a subject very close to our heart, no pun intended. <laughs> we know that uh, the hormonal changes that occur during menopause can bring increased cardiovascular risk in the form of higher blood pressure and cholesterol levels. And this really hit home for us recently when Jackie was diagnosed with dangerously high cholesterol. So we're super excited to have you here, Dr. Abramson, to join us to talk about the importance of cardiac health, during peri and menopause. Thank you. My pleasure to be here. It is such an important topic. And as a woman myself, it's <laughs> such an important subject matter. Yes. We need to be aware um, and, and, and women need to be informed and aware of what the issues are so that they can ask the right questions. I've said over the years, you don't have to know the answers for those questions. That's why I went to medical school and for many years afterwards to become a, a specialist and a specialist in women and heart disease. But I have to say, 
You should be um, informed enough to know what questions to ask your healthcare provider to make sure you are, you drive them to give you the answers. Mm-hmm. That is, that's such a good point, um, Dr. Abramson, because as Ramona mentioned, I went in for a, just to check to see if I was a candidate for HRT because I'm five years postmenopausal, and um, I did blood work and my blood work came back where my cholesterol was um, 9.4, which apparently is really high. I didn't know. I thought, oh, that's under 10. That should be okay. And then I found out that is absolutely not okay. Um, And I did some research upon going home and freaking out and found (laughs) out that, um, you know, as well, you will obviously explain this a lot better than me, but as we decrease estrogen, our hearts aren't protected. And you know, just over the the last 10 years, we've heard stories in the news about healthy women going for a jog and just dropping from a heart attack. And, um, you know, I think there's so much on this topic that we are excited for you to explain to women um, everything from why we're at risk and also how women present differently than men when they're having an episode. Yeah, I'm happy to chat a lot about this because, you know, heart disease or cardiovascular disease, heart attack and stroke is the leading health threat for Canadian women, North American women, women worldwide. And um, our risk increases as we age for problems related to heart attack and stroke. And a woman has to be aware of her risk factors and risk does tend to increase at midlife or just before midlife. And I can go into the whys of that as well, but women mm-hmm. need to think that it can happen to them and have to ask the questions. You know, I, I often say that heart disease is no longer disease of gray haired old men. And I haven't yeah. had many female patients over the last few decades, really um, bringing home the point that um, the, the face of heart disease has changed. Uh, Women are at risk for heart attack and stroke. Heart disease is a broad range of diseases, but women are at risk of heart attack and stroke when they have uh, traditional risk factors for heart disease. And those risk factors, as you started to mention, include high blood pressure, diabetes, high cholesterol, smoking, or a family history of heart uh, heart disease in in a close relative early early on in their lives. So um, we can go through that one by one, but at the, and I will, but at the end of the day, um, a woman's body composition changes for various reasons as she goes through midlife and the ratios of estrogen to testosterone change and a woman's risk for cardiovascular risk factors and coronary heart disease and stroke start to increase. And and it takes about five to seven years for women to catch up to men, I often say. Um, But a woman at midlife or just perimenopausally needs to have a conversation with their healthcare provider and ask, are they at risk? What are my risk factors? What do I need to know to, um, to be aware of future risk? And what can I do about it? Because for some people, um, the treatment is related to lifestyle. And in others, you know, I'm not going to go into your, your personal story, Jackie. We can talk offline afterwards. <laughs> uh, just hearing that you have something called familial hyperlipidemia. It's all, it's all in the genes, probably. So, and you probably weren't even aware of it. But having said that, I don't, I don't give individual health information uh, in, to on a podcast or uh, on a a social media platform, but I will say (laughs) um, 
we need to be aware of our risk factors and we need to have that conversation. A lot of people are at risk and some of the risk can be changed or lowered by lifestyle. And in many people, we have good therapies and medications. So let's go through this a little bit uh, one by one uh, for a woman. Um, in general, we need to ask our doctors uh, at midlife and beyond and before midlife, am, am I at risk? You know, women walk in informed and they should be about other health issues. They know mm -hmm. about screening for cancers, whether it's it's a breast cancer or if you have a family history of, of another gynecologic cancer, for example, and we go for screening colonoscopies. But we don't say, am I at risk for heart disease? We absolutely should ask that question. That's the first question to ask because it's our leading health threat. Um, and death and disability for heart attack and stroke is actually more severe for women as they age, even than men. And, and so we need we need to remember that. So am can I, I at risk? Ask, yeah. Can I ask you what um, what do you consider midlife for women? For those listening, like I just okay. want to sort of know like an age range. Well, as I get older, midlife is like, you know, it's all relative, right? <laughs> yeah. I am using midlife. Uh, very broadly and colloquially mm -hmm. for me, um, sort of the average age of menopause. Average age of menopause is about 51. And we mm -hmm. all know that women's bodies and hormones can change before that. There's a perimenopause. And then mm -hmm. after midlife or menopause, when we, we, you know, menopause is no menstrual period for a year. Mm -hmm. um, and that's due to a change and fluctuation in our hormones. Um, and uh, it does in, with that change and lower uh, levels of estrogen, we see risk for heart disease and stroke starting to increase. So uh, around 50 and beyond is when a woman will see her risk factors start to increase and not understand why. And it may take a few years. So you might have had a checkup. Uh, if someone may have had a checkup when they're 49 and 50 and everything looks okay, two or three years later, things are changing. And I have women in my practice, I say, well, that makes sense to me. You know, you, you've gone through menopause, you've gone through midlife, mm. and that is when we're going to start seeing those risks. If you're if if you're either predestined or your lifestyle is is is, uh, is changed a bit. And um, heart disease, I was going to go into risk factors, but I often say it's it's bad luck, bad living, bad genes. So some things are genetic. So a very mm. high cholesterol tends to be genetic. For example. Um, in at different stages in life and high blood pressure tends to be genetic in that you can, should ask your family members, like a woman should ask their siblings and their parents, do they have high blood pressure? Because if, if, if your mom or dad had high blood pressure, then you may be at risk, especially at midlife and beyond. We still have to start checking your blood pressure. So that tends to run in families. Um, and then there are things we can do about that as well, right? Because mm -hmm. if we're overweight and out of shape, then we have higher risk of high blood pressure, diabetes, cholesterol. Um, so, so there are some things we need to be aware of at midlife in terms of checking, checking our cholesterol, Mm -hmm. checking our blood pressure, knowing the numbers. And, you know, um, there are some, there are very fine healthcare providers out there. Um, but I do like to empower patients, women, men, people um, to know your numbers because uh, all too often over the last few decades of my career, does that make me I'm at midlife or beyond? Um, <laughs> the new midlife. Um, 
<laughs> my life, um, that um, for that uh, patients that said, oh, my doctor said my blood pressure is fine or the cholesterol is fine. And I say, well, it's not. What was the number? So know your numbers. And then oh my we God, I never know the right? number. Whenever they right. tell me the number, I'm always so confused about the blood pressure number. I know that for a fact, I've been told mine's very low naturally. And that because they always ask me if I ever feel lightheaded or faint. So I think mine's <laughs> low, okay. but I never know the number because it's always so confusing. Yeah, you don't have to memorize the number, but it's certainly <laughs> if you're going in for an assessment or someone says it's low or someone says it's normal, say, well, what is it? And write it down, especially yeah. if it's abnormal and high or mm-hmm. you know especially um you, you it, it behooves us to learn a bit about this and be proactive yeah. and become educated yours is low or for example anyone who's is low that's fine um yeah. but you know a wo- when you're a woman uh, at all stages of our lives we should ask am i at risk for things and what should i do about it? so heart disease and stroke our risk starts increasing certainly at midlife and we the traditional risk factors for heart disease uh, we need to ask, get our blood pressure checked, get our cholesterol checked. Do we have diabetes? And, you know, there's an explosion of diabetes in our population now because um, people are unfortunately, we're, it's great. We're exercising our brains and listening to, to things on, and on the uh, computers now, but we're not as active as we used to be. And so, yeah. there's, uh, you know, we're into this uh, explosion of obesity and being overweight does put us at risk uh, is, is, for all of us for diabetes and even high blood pressure and high cholesterol within certain ranges. So am I out of shape and overweight? What can I do about it from a lifestyle perspective? What's my blood pressure? What's my blood sugar? Do I have diabetes? What's my cholesterol level? Okay. And what's my family history? So that's the other thing you have to ask your family because what you might not realize as a woman is that if you had a dad with a heart attack in his fifties, that doubles your risk of heart disease in the future. So it doesn't go by, it doesn't go by uh, lines of sex or biological differences. So if you're a woman and have a parent or a sibling with early heart disease in their fifties, a man in their fifties, a woman in their sixties, again, that, that lag, because a woman is protected for about five to seven years after midlife, when women start catching up to men in terms of risk for heart disease. Um, uh, so if you have a, a man or a woman in your, in your immediate family with early heart disease, then you as a woman, or if you have a brother, <laughs> a man are, are also at risk. So you have to ask your family history and that that's important for us all to know. And sometimes I ask patients, they come into my office and they'll say, I'll say, well, for example, does anyone in your family have early heart attack or heart disease? And they have to think about that. Or does your, does a sibling have cholesterol issues or does anyone have high blood pressure? I mean, I think unless if, if you're close enough with your family members, I think discussing what these risk factors, which tend to run genetically, um, are useful uh, mm-hmm. to keep the family healthy and informed together. So those are things we can talk about. And then the other thing is that um, uh, smoking, the, the good news is, is that we're smoking less as a society. Women tend to smoke for different reasons. It's interesting. Women will t- traditionally quit smoking when they are pregnant. Mm-hmm. There are, there's a whole literature and psychology about some women smoking when they have young children around so they can distance themselves. Cause it's something they can't do around their children. It's their me time. I would say that's a really bad way to have me time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the psychology behind that. So uh, the good news is that we're smoking less in society, but certainly smoking is a, a major risk for, for heart disease and stroke as well. And these are for women who, you know, uh, once we see these risk factors, what do we do about it? Well, 
Some people need medications and some people need a change in their lifestyle. And I say it's never too late or early to make a lifestyle change. You don't have to go put on spandex and join a gym to become a little more fit, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Go for a walk, get it into a routine, get into a schedule, buddy up with someone. I think I think women, uh, I'm overgeneralizing, but can be a little more social um, and yeah. tend to be able to uh, connect with people. So get a walking buddy and getting a walking buddy might be easier for a woman than a man potentially. And I think that's budding up and being, you know, the budding up is, is the, is the very casual way of saying being accountable to somebody as well. That seems very right. doable, like three yeah. times 30 minutes a week Absolutely. as a start seems yeah. really, I mean, if we well, can't do that. And I mean, I will say during the pandemic, it was hard for me to do that. I've just yeah. recently come out of the fog of the pandemic and started working out again. <laughs> but like, it's it's challenging when you get in a rut. And I agree that yeah. women tend to like, we tend to gravitate to each other. We kibitz more. It's I always love going for a walk with a girlfriend than rather by myself or whatever. But mm-hmm. it's good to know that even just those small changes can actually course correct is what you're saying. Absolutely. And you know, when we talk about blood pressure control, there's a lot of benefit from moderate activity. So uh, 30 minutes of a vigorous walking three times a week, um, you can go bunch it up, though, it can be I, for my for my, I call my patients who have high blood pressure, and the term is hypertension, if you're super busy, two times 45 minutes of a week, will get that blood pressure down, and potentially help um, avoid the need for medications in the long run. The thing about exercise and the thing about activity and the thing about lifestyle changes is they're actually difficult, right? It's yeah. easier it's easier to take a pill than make mm-hmm. a lifestyle change. I jokingly tell have told people over the years that take a placebo or a fake pill for a walk. It's gonna be it's gonna be good for you, you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. But I think scheduling it in is helpful. If you look at the advice that people give in terms of making some of these changes um, and helping lower risk for heart disease by increasing activity, working towards a healthy body weight, um, you know, the activity piece is really scheduling in. If you had a um, an appointment somewhere for a client or a doctor or for a parent or a child, a woman will do everything for everyone else. Schedule right. it into your own routine. Um, and, and make it a real appointment. I think we're, we're, we're also hard on ourselves. We don't take the time for ourselves, but it's important. And it's important in terms of risk of heart disease. I spoke to a few women in the neighborhood and said, like, I've got to get back into some sort of an exercise plan. Um, I hate working out. Um, I, I won't go to a gym, but I will do workouts at home on a yoga mat. Um, so a couple of us all decided we wanted to do it. So the schedule is, there's four of us. Um, it's not always four of us who go, but it's usually at least two of us. And on the days it's just me, I'll listen to an audio book. Um, but we go right after we kick the kids out for school and we're gone for an hour for five kilometers. And then we come back and I actually feel really uh, clear headed to start work. Um, but I stopped just before Christmas because I got COVID pretty bad. Mm-hmm. And then I found out about my cholesterol. So it just started again last week. Then it snowed. And then we started <laughs> this week. But I've gone three days this week. Like I will go every day and we do hold each other accountable. And we basically use our walks as like a Siskel and Ebert opportunity to review Netflix, books, 
everything. So it's really like you forget the time is passing and how far you're walking. And it's so good for your overall health, right? It's good for your physical health. It's good for your cardiovascular health. It's good for our emotional well-being because we're social animals. Uh, yeah. I often say, and, and COVID has really um, has proven that to us, I think. Um, but congratulations at getting back on it because it's hard to do. Um, I use the analogy, whether it's it's going for a walk or for some of my patients, even though smoking is less prevalent now, there are still people who smoke and it's a true mm -hmm. addiction. And I, I say, you know, this is all a process. It's not an event, making a lifestyle change. So mm -hmm. if I were somebody who could only get to work or go to the hospital, if I only hit green lights and I had to go back in my car and start again, if I hit a red light, I'm not going to not go into work. I'm just going to go and go and go until I get there. Right. And so yeah. the process is important. And it's a good I, way of putting it. Just really important. Um, and when we talk about women and heart disease, you know, uh, oh, there are unique aspects of midlife and beyond and earlier, just before midlife, where we have to uh, embrace the fact that we will, our risk will increase and we can do things to lower that risk. Um, and you don't have to go to the gym and put on, uh, you know, the spandex. And it is never too late or too early to make a lifestyle change. And it's it, it, it doesn't happen overnight. And, you know, when I have patients who are, um, you know, coming into me after heart attacks and they've like, you know, they have been overweight and out of shape. It, 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 their motivation is higher, but the, the, the process isn't any different. It's a step-by-step -step approach. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I have my patients who are somewhat overweight, who we want to get into a healthier body weight so that their blood pressure is under better control. Their blood sugar is under better control. The cholesterol is under better control. It doesn't mean you should be a skinny mini. And in fact, if we're talking about women now, there's a false body image that women have been sold on over the years, yes. you know, you can be, you can be five to 10 pounds overweight and healthier on the inside. Mm -hmm. If you're not smoking, if you're eating low fat, healthy foods. Yeah. Right? So it's not an, and, and, you know, the, the anorexic looking fashion model, who's probably smoking and eating, you know, very high uh, fried foods um, mm -hmm. isn't necessarily healthy on the inside. So that's a message I think we have to pass mm -hmm. on to the young girls. Uh, but I, I think that we all react differently to processes at different stages of life. And I think women really do need to know that heart attack and stroke in the future is, is, is down the line potentially as we reach midlife. There Absolutely. are younger women actually who are at risk as well. And we're, we're seeing increasingly sex-specific risk factors for heart disease. We talked about some of the traditional ones. And I would say going through midlife or menopause, someone who's postmenopausal is at increased risk for cardiovascular disease. When women, women who've become pregnant and who have high blood pressure, diabetes with pregnancy, it's becoming increasingly um, uh, established that these women are at increased risk earlier on in life too. So uh, women are at risk for heart disease. And, you know, um, there are so many things we can do to prevent it. First thing is being aware of the issues, asking about what my risk factors are and what can I do to make changes? Is it my lifestyle? These are just mm -hmm. general questions. Is it lifestyle yeah. medication and get into the, led in the right direction. So mm -hmm. um, we don't want people, people to feel alone and women to feel alone either. It's very, mm -hmm. it's actually common in, in women. Yeah. One of the things my dad 
did. And um, this was his own initiative, but was really helpful when I was diagnosed with my cholesterol issue. Um, my dad's side of the family has heart issue and my mom's side of the family has diabetes and um, I can't remember the other one now, uh, Parkinson's. So my dad has done this big health chart of both sides of the family. And my dad had two cardiac incidents, one when he was 58 and he had a second stent put in, in I think his early sixties, but he's documented all of this, um, you know, that he had high cholesterol. My brother has high cholesterol. So my dad's put that in the file. So it's an easy file to look at when I go into the doctor. Now I need to be more organized on my computer yeah. to actually find it, but <laughs> it is a really great idea though, to, for every family to have something like that available is, but, and to pass it down from generation to generation. Right. And I don't think that a doctor that is seeing a patient expects the fine tuned details in a great no, PowerPoint yeah. presentation, <laughs> but the story you just said, cause you've asked, and you're aware and your dad has logged it, but people need to ask, as I started to say, their siblings and their parents about what health issues are in the family, because so many of these things tend to run in families and tend to be genetic. And yeah. the genes tendencies tend to come out in women after midlife and mm -hmm. beyond. So, yeah. you know, um, I, I think it's really important that women need to know that they're at risk at, as we're all at risk and mm -hmm. we can lower risk, you know? So, I have a question that I think a lot of women are very concerned about. And, you know, every time I get a tingle or a weird sensation or my neck, even though I'm on my computer 12 hours a day, if my neck gets stiff, I'm sure it's the big one coming. So, but I also know that women present differently when they are having um, symptoms of an upcoming like a heart attack can we call it that yeah well we, let's absolutely talk about that because um there there's there's actually an urban myth out there that <laughs> women have different symptoms of heart attack than men and while there there are some some differences in the way women present that are subtle and we'll discuss the commonest symptom of a heart attack which is a lack of blood flow to the heart from junk in your arteries the pipes have been clogged a bit and that can be from cholesterol or high blood pressure or some of the things we've talked about. Um, so when you have lack of blood flow to the arteries, um, you your heart cries out for blood. And the commonest symptom of a heart attack is a heaviness or pressure in the chest. But women and men can have discomfort in their chest. And I teach the medical students, it's anywhere from in their chest, from up from their nose below down to the belly button, it can have a chest discomfort. It's usually a pressure in their chest and it can go into the jaw or the back or the arm. Women and men can get short of breath and sweaty with it. Um, so if there's a, an uncomfortable feeling that you're cold and clammy, something's not right and it's out of the blue, that's when you need to as a woman or if a man's listening to this podcast as well, um, seek medical attention urgently like by calling 911. On the other hand, women may communicate big surprise that women communicate differently than men. Right. So, <laughs> yeah. So women can minimize things. Right. And I, I you know, I often talk about uh, the, the two scenarios where the woman comes into the emergency room saying, Oh no, it can't be my heart. And she convinces the nurse that she's having a gallbladder attack, but really it, it, it's, it's a similar symptom. She had a discomfort in the middle of her chest was, Oh, that's my gallbladder. And so it's, it's not, it's not, uh, not a blame or a fault, but women do communicate differently. And so 
There are maybe subtleties in language and women can have unusual symptoms as well, but so do men. The commonest symptom, however, is uh, of a heart attack is, a, is we call the Hollywood heart attack, the elephant on the chest <laughs> pressure. Yeah. And that's, that's true in women too. Um, you know, there are some non-specific symptoms that people present with a heart attack, but I don't want anyone listening or all of us to get scared, but mm-hmm. talk about non-specific fatigue. How many of us have been tired in the last week? We're too tired. Yeah. Well, we're not sitting here having had a heart attack, but you've had a heart attack and then you ask, are you tired in the last week? Right? So there are some subtleties that may present differently, but in by and large, women have heaviness or discomfort in their chest when they have a heart attack. Now, when people have narrowings that are not blocked in terms of blood flow to the heart, the, we, the heart cries out for blood when there are increased demands on it. So if someone goes for a walk and the heart, the blood flow can't keep up, the heart goes, oh, and people can get a chest discomfort, a throat or arm just discomfort with activity that goes away with rest. And that's a lack of blood flow to the heart. That's something we actually call angina. And so if anyone has a symptom, something's not right. You know, you've got your walking buddy, you're doing your power walk and everything's fine. And suddenly you can't keep up. You're short of breath with activity. It goes away when you rest. You have a jaw pain, a throat, an arm discomfort that comes on with activity and goes away with rest all the time. That needs medical attention. Um, and, you know, I think it is an awareness issue as well, because uh, I have had patients over the years who have had uh, referrals to dentists for jaw pain when it's clearly most specialists, whether you're a male or a female patient, would say that sounds like it could be the heart, right? So being aware oh. of the symptoms are, are, are important. Um, and if there's any concern, um, it, you're not wasting healthcare dollars. If you think you're having a heart attack with the elephant on the chest of calling 911, because even if it isn't a heart attack, it's important to get ruled out and evaluated. And mm-hmm. if it is, time is heart muscle. So we have all sorts of great treatments now. So the yeah. person who, two scenarios, the woman who's like sitting in bed in the middle of the night, wakes up, horrible indigestion, cold and sweaty, and has never been like this before and like looks gray. And her husband's like, you don't look good. He's like, let's call 911. Okay. Gets to the hospital right away. Actually gets all the right treatment. That was effective use of, of, of saying, is there something wrong? And if she'd had the same symptoms and it ended up being nothing, it was good to get checked out initially because mm-hmm. not all chest discomfort is from the heart. Um, and then the other hand, if you're minimizing symptoms and saying, oh, it couldn't be my heart. I don't need to get checked out. I don't need to bother see a doctor. Oh no. And people are trying to call 911, you're saying, forget it. There's a problem there too, right? So yeah, I think we need to be aware this is potentially serious. Um, we don't need to overreact with every ache and pain. Mm-hmm. Chest discomfort coming from blood flow to the heart tends to be more of a pressure and broad. It's not pinpoint. It's not sharp. It's not sitting there at rest. It's not when we're having just, you know, um, uh, an exciting or argument with a friend or loved one and, and, and goes away. And then we're, we're back on a Peloton or activity and, and you don't get, you don't have any discomfort. So um, people, people need to talk to their doctors if they're having chest discomfort. So I was curious with the chest discomfort, like, you know, like when you say this, this pressure or the elephant on the chest, are we to assume that you're going to know when this is happening? Like, I'm always afraid that this is going, this is like a gray area. Like if I have, you know, I have, I get 
chest pains and muscle spasms and things because I've had multiple surgeries on my chest. I'm a breast cancer survivor. So I have a lot of like aches and pains all the time, right? So for me, I have a pretty high threshold for pain and I usually ignore a lot of What's that? Sure, you're used to those pains and you know what those aches and those muscle pains are. And that's different. You're absolutely right. It's not... um, Sometimes we don't know. And so we have to ask. So it's like yeah. sitting there and you've got aches and pains and you're not cold and clammy or sweaty and it's out of the blue. Go and have a conversation with your family doctor non-urgently. It's okay to have that conversation, right? We need to talk about our health. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes muscular sounding pains are muscular sound. And you know what? If it gets better with a little Tylenol or a heating pad, it's not your heart. If you have just pulled a large um, a box out of the attic and you pulled a muscle, <laughs> Don't worry that you're having yeah, a heart yeah, yeah. attack right then and there, right? So, you know, okay. we can't we can't expect people to be their own doctor, but you know when to ask the right questions. And when it's out of the blue and something is wrong and different, that's when you need to seek emergency medical attention. Tends to be associated with shortness of breath, you're cold and clammy, something is wrong. It's just, you know, waking you from sleep, something is wrong. That's the emergency room. But everything mm-hmm. else is a discussion with a healthcare provider in a non emergent way. Okay. Um, one of the symptoms I did hear about um, that concerned me a little bit was uh, nausea, vomiting for mm-hmm. women. Is that? Because I, I got food poisoning once and um, I was <laughs> like, this is how women think, you know, this, you are one. Oh, <laughs> I'm not joking. It's actually funny. Are we having every symptom that we have? Is it, you know, could it be this? Could it be that? But I will say, listen, nausea is a sign of that people have female and male associated. It's an associated symptom. Uh, with heart attack at times. And often that nausea is related to some discomfort in the chest, arm, throat, or jaw. Not always. But the nausea of a heart attack isn't associated after having a bad piece of fish and having diarrhea or bloating, right? Yeah. So something's wrong, you're cold and clammy, or, or you haven't gone out for that wonderful piece of sushi that you've wanted all day and it's just sitting there and you're getting sick now. Right. So (laughs) like it's really something that's out of the blue. It's still, you still need to take, pay attention to it, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean that all of these common symptoms, uh, which can be associated with heart attack are the only sign of heart attack or specific in women. And that's why I discussed the fatigue, the fatigue syndrome, because we're all tired. Right. So exactly. Exactly. You know, yeah, can I, can I ask, you're having a heart attack. Can I ask you to explain the difference between a heart attack and a stroke? Absolutely. That's a great question. That is a good question. So <laughs> the actual disease we're talking about is a disease of the blood vessels when you think about it. So it's the pipes that supply blood to your heart that get clogged and blocked. And when the, there's a blockage in the pipe, okay, and blood doesn't get to the heart muscle, the heart muscle gets damaged. It cries out for blood and the heart muscle can die because the blood supplies it life, right? So, uh, and oxygen. So a clogged artery, completely clogged and a blockage of blood flow in the artery causes heart muscle damage. A stroke is a blockage of blood flow to the arteries into your brain. A heart attack and a brain attack we could think about very similarly. And a brain attack would be a a way of talking about a stroke. Now, stroke is a little slightly more complicated in that stroke can be caused 
by clogged arteries and junk in your arteries. We call it atherosclerosis and junk in your arteries. And sometimes stroke is also caused by bleeding into that uh, into the brain, but it is damage to the brain tissue is a, is a stroke or brain attack and damage to the heart muscle is a heart attack. And often the risk factors for heart attack and stroke are similar. So high cholesterol, diabetes, high blood pressure, smoking, right. Um, or family history can put you at risk for both heart attack and brain attack. So I talk heart and stroke, right? And then there's some other subtleties between the two. Um, uh, As women age, there may be certain types of stroke and high blood pressure or hypertension can be uh, more of a risk for even women than men as we age. Um, And stroke is a big issue for women. And if women have that stroke or brain attack, they're unfortunately sometimes more disabled with more serious strokes. And we can prevent a lot of this by controlling these risk factors. And there are some differences though, in how they present as well, if I understand correctly, right? Like if you are having a stroke episode, you could have issues with your vision or really bad headache or absolutely. So when I say that they're similar, they're similar in terms of the underlying mechanism they're not at all the same in terms of how people present at all. So let's talk about heart. We've just talked about heart attack, the elephant on your chest, the Hollywood heart attack, the nausea with it, the shortness of breath. A stroke is very different. If you're having difficulty seeing or talking or moving because our brain controls everything, you know, if you're having difficulty with suddenly moving your arm or getting very numb in your arm, that is uh, a sign, a warning sign of a stroke happening. And if someone thinks they're having a stroke, uh, absolutely, we need to get to the emergency room right away, right? So if there's a, a loss of vision or motion or talking or a numbness on one side, we need to get there quickly. Is it true that if you're showing a sign of stroke that it's helpful to take an aspirin? If in fact you think you're having a symptom of a stroke, the most important thing to do is call 911 mm-hmm. and then you can take an aspirin. Okay. Okay. The time you need to call 911 rather than finding the aspirin, calling. <laughs> yes. Aspirin, yeah. Right? And, and <laughs> running and, up those stairs to the bathroom and, and might not true. be and advisable. The is, is that for both heart attack and stroke, if you are not on aspirin and there is a clogged artery that goes either to the brain or the heart, then the aspirin-like medications, we call it antiplatelet medications, are important. Um, there are more powerful and potent ones we give to people when they come to hospital. Um, sometimes with the early warning sign of a stroke, if that's due to bleeding, that gets more complicated in terms of treatment in the hospital, but it's unlikely to harm you and it might help. That said, it's more important to call 911 uh, then re- rummaging through. And even if it's near you, it's important mm-hmm. to call 911 uh, to, uh, to get uh, the right care and right assessment right away. Is the aspirin true of heart as well, or is it just stroke? Yeah. 
hard no, as well? No, it's hard. It's hard as well. There are all sorts of every once in a while. I used to get these crazy emails from my late mother or and her friends saying, "Is this true? Is that true?" And then some of them are like, "Really? No." <laughs> you must get this all the time. <laughs> okay, and it's I have to be really polite because it's a friend of a friend, and you're like, "Oh, come on, that's so ridiculous." Stand upside down and count to three or something, you know. <laughs> but Go don't on. call nine one one. Right. Like, call 911. It's okay. <laughs> I think I'm going to start glamping outside of the ER with a bottle of aspirin. <laughs> I just <laughs> want to make sure I'm right there. <laughs> Until you get that cholesterol down. Just <laughs> Yes, absolutely. You know, um, is, sorry, I do want to talk about that because you brought up a point in terms of um, understandable worry and stress about risk factors for heart disease. Um, I think we have to understand that this is risk that accumulates over time and that these are not it, risk factors for heart disease do need to be managed and managed, I would say aggressively and in a timely fashion, but your actual risk for a, a problem or an event, uh, we talk about time horizons in years. And so there's time to make the change, right? And there's time to get on the medication. And I, when I see a patient in my office, if I say, I'm not evangelical, but I'm taking my hand out, I'm taking away your worry. We're going to take care of you, right? Um, <laughs> yeah. because, because this is not, it's not an emergency like the chest pain or the warning signs and symptoms of stroke. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's actually, I'm really glad you said that because I, I know even just speaking with Jackie recently, I know she's been really, really concerned about her own diagnosis, but I think- it's good for people to hear that, that again, there's so much you can, you can do with your own health and turn things around. And it doesn't mean that just because of this diagnosis, it's a death sentence, that it's, it's very easy to course correct and that you can get back on track very easily. And it it, it truthfully provides me with a lot of comfort. I haven't had any, um, any health issues. I've had my own cancer journey. So I feel like, okay, I've ticked one box. I'm good. I don't need to, but, but just knowing that even just now that, you know, I'm midlife ish getting close (laughs) um, that, you know, there are things now that I can do to help prevent. No. And the other thing is we've talked a lot about lifestyle, but there are so many good, we call evidence-based medications and interventions. So um, we actually have great injectable drugs for high cholesterol when we can't get cholesterol down nowadays. Um, and the only side effect is cost, which is a side effect, right? Like like good mm-hmm. drugs for cancer treatments. We have lots of good interventions and drugs that are evidence-based at reducing risk. And we have lots of ways of actually, as I like to say, looking under the hood to see if you need a tune-up when it comes to your heart. So checking that cholesterol, and we even have a special, uh, we call them sub-fractions of cholesterol that we recommend nowadays once in a, in a person's lifetime. So when a woman's at uh, midlife, ask their doctor, okay, what's my cholesterol? And you know, oh, the doctor told me about this thing called LP little a. So like there are all these things out there. I'm not telling you to go one or another, but I think, I think we have a lot of ways of looking under the hood to look at one's risk for heart disease. And we have a lot of ways to treat it in addition to important lifestyle changes. Mm-hmm. So not all hope is lost. In fact, I think we're in a, a much better position than we were even a decade ago. Uh, for mm-hmm. I also think like when, when my dad had his first incident at 58, he's a very healthy, active person. So it was a bit of a surprise. But back then, his doctor said, you remember all the French fries you had in your 20s? Well, they're still with you. So um, I think for him, he was very fortunate that 
a lot of men, I think, deny that they're having an issue, but he actually did go to the hospital and he had stents put in and it was almost better that it happened because now he knows he has an issue and he is prepared and taking yeah. better care. And like with myself, I wasn't thrilled, but it does give me impetus to be better, to eat better, cut back on a few snacks, maybe yeah, some brownies. You know, <laughs> I think most things in moderation except smoking and we all have to give ourselves a break, really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. You know, uh, even the story you're telling me, it's completely genetic and your dad's older family doctor many years ago was maybe right or not the french fries didn't stay with him because all the french fries <laughs> in the world don't put your cholesterol up to a number close to nine it's genetic oh, so, okay. <laughs> so you know um uh, so it's it, it, we should be eating healthily and act, being active and trying to maintain a healthy body weight and then get the right therapies and mm-hmm. treatments and drugs that are available to us now and i have so many people in my practice living uh, full healthy lives living with heart disease. Um, I obviously have a focus on prevention and women. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And I absolutely would like us to prevent that first heart attack if we can. Yeah. And you know, for, for every, um, uh, I'd say six or seven patients that come into my office who have risk factors that really need good evidence-based therapies, I have three or four of those patients out of 10 who just like, oh, I don't want to take a drug doctor when it's clearly indicated in 2022. So, you know, I think we have to embrace science uh, and technology while we work on lifestyle. And we've got so much available to us um, Mm -hmm. that we can, you know, as as someone said earlier, I think change the narrative a little, right? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I do think that's why I put that post on our Facebook group, like, you may or may not, be me like well now that I know mine's more genetic but still after you know coming up to perimenopause menopause two years in a pandemic where you're not really exercising I mean remember in the beginning we couldn't even go to a park and then you know like Ramona and I homeschooling our kids Mm -hmm. uh, like the stress levels were so bad uber eats and ordering groceries online and just working 12 hour days like you're just grabbing whatever's around so all these things lead up to a very unhealthy lifestyle so even though my issue was cholesterol i think we encouraged a lot of women to go and ask their doctor to to do that sort of midlife test absolutely and at midlife and i would say as we're talking in the context of of coming through and throughout a pandemic ongoing pandemic i do have to say that um we have to give ourselves a break like we're living through extraordinary times in history mm-hmm. and you know mm-hmm. what I, I see my patients i say oh you've had, how much how, what's your covid creep i call it a covid creep right they've been gained a few pounds <laughs> <laughs> so and that's okay it doesn't mean it should stay with us forever. It just means we shouldn't be so hard on ourselves. And I yeah. think as women, we're actually really hard on ourselves um, and give ourselves a break. And it's okay to start now. We won't have lost a lot of time because uh, life intervenes and history intervenes in what we're doing. But it, it's okay if you've been out of shape for two years and doing the Uber Eats and dealing with all the stressors um, that many of us are living with. And I do think for women, we're in a particular crunch because um, I think the pandemic has affected women and women who are working in the home or working women who are at home with children or both um, mm-hmm. uh, much more so when you look at childcare and absolutely, and, you know, and, and the, the, um, the expectations that uh, are are made on our lives in this current era, I think it's affected women. It's going to take a long time to get out of this rut. Um, mm-hmm. Having said that, I think we need to be um, 
okay with saying, no, I can't do this, or it's not okay to expect this of me. It's hard to do sometimes. It's also, I think women need not to be too hard on themselves and just go to their doctor, go to at midlife or before, because perimenopause is when we start to see some of these changes and be, mm-hmm. make sure you follow up and make sure you work towards a, a healthier you, right? Um, it's amazing because when we started this conversation, um, Ramona and I were both, and like a lot of women, very nervous about you know, learning about this. And it felt like a very doomsdayical topic, but I don't feel that way anymore. I'm really glad we spoke to you because I feel like you're right. I I wasn't worried I couldn't live with this. I was worried that I was a ticking time bomb. And, um, And I also, you know, women, we hear stories about some healthy woman who jogs every day, who just falls in the park and has a heart attack and dies. And that's our biggest fear, something we cannot predict, something we can't prevent or predict. But, you know, I'm sure there were so many other issues we didn't know about that individual. And when you think about going through and checking what your risks are, knowing your family history, um, knowing about your own lifestyle and where there's opportunity to improve, like it does make us feel like we have us, like we have control of this a little more than we did. Absolutely. And being aware of signs and symptoms. And we've, I've suggested there aren't as many subtle, there's some subtle differences between women and men. But if you're having something that's wrong, chest pain, and and, and you're at midlife, uh, or beyond, or even younger, and there's, there's something's wrong, don't ignore it, right? Yeah. So yeah. We, we, we unfortunately have heard, and you've heard, as you said, of, of, of tragic losses. But we can't, we don't know what that person's, as you said, blood pressure was, blood sugar was, smoking status, cholesterol. And you don't know if that person was having chest pains and ignoring it for the week before. Mm-hmm. I have unfortunately heard in, in my practice with siblings of people who have had, had that issue. So I, I think we have to be aware it's a threat. Uh, and by a threat, I don't mean it in, in, in a, like, oh, my goodness, it's a doomsday threat, but it's a, it's a health threat that we can manage and just be aware of. And I I think if you look for risk factors and you find them, I actually look at it completely differently. I think it's great because we've looked under the hood. We can see what we can tune up and we can prevent the car from breaking down in 10 years, right? So that's it's better that way, you know? So that's yes. I yes, I love that. 10 years when we hit midlife, right? Because we're going to keep moving the midlife bar. <laughs> That's right. And we're going to tune your car, Jackie. <laughs> I'm not saying you're a car, Jackie. I just okay. I, I'm being associated with bad sushi and cars now. <laughs> I can't thank you enough for joining us. We have, we, it's so funny. We've talked to so many people in the menopause community. Um, we're, you know, in constant communication with the Menopause Foundation of Canada. Your name keeps coming up you're like a unicorn we're like we know she exists we're gonna get her on our podcast <laughs> yes and we finally got you <laughs> I, I, i'm happy to come back sometime i've it's, yes, it's obviously i i it's a it's a it's a passion of mine over my career to take care of people and have an interest in women and women's health and women's heart health and you know for for your doctors i've been involved in writing guidelines on menopausal hormone therapy and the heart so a topic for another time that will um, be but, another topic for sure that, that's a topic for a hundred podcasts now <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, i'm just thrilled to be here because you're just so lovely to talk to and it's such an important cause so thank uh, you thank, thank you, you.